You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Today we'll be talking about maintaining pulpal vitality. Our guest is Dr. Mark Cannon, a professor of otolaryngology, Division of Dentistry at Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine, an attending physician at Anne and Robert Lurie Children's Hospital, and the founder of Associated Dental Specialists of Long Grove. He has 40 years of experience in pediatric dentistry and has presented lectures both nationally and internationally. Dr. Cannon, it's a pleasure to have you back on Dental Talk. Well, thank you for having me back. Yeah, so for those of you who have tapped into this podcast, um, please check out the other ones that Dr. Cannon is doing. The rise of calcium releasing materials was excellent. He also talked about the dentist's role in research, which is something that we normally don't hear about, but he made some very valid points. And there's a fourth one called Meet the Thera Family. Um, and our sponsor is Bisco. And I've talked about them in previous podcasts. Great company, big into R&D, um, leaders in, in dental materials in many ways. And Dr. Cannon will be making a comparison between Theracal, LC, MTA, and other materials out there. And he'll back it up with research, which is um, really something we all should be listening to when we listen to KOLs. It's all about the research behind these statements and, and claims. So for this podcast, um, maintaining pulp uh, vitality, talk about, if you would, Dr. Cannon, about alkaline versus acidic monomers and their effect on the pulp. Wow, that is so important because you often hear people talk about acidic monomers. Now, there are a number of acidic monomers that are very, very hydrophilic. They love water, and they're excellent for adhesion. So they really tend to penetrate deep into the dentin. Given time, they'll go quite a ways into dentin being so hydrophilic. But unfortunately, they can be really hard on odontoblasts just because of their nature. They, If you look at the studies, they influence negatively the health of the mitochondria of the odontoblastic cells, which some classic things might be like eugenol, which is kind of cytotoxic, and you study that all the time when it comes to odontoblastic cell vitality or pulpal cell vitality. Now, a number of them, though, once you polymerize them, they're no longer cytotoxic. And if you combine them, with, like, say, pentafunctional monomers. So when you cure them, they make a highly cross-linked type of polymer. Those are actually very, can be very, very kind. A good example to that would be the polyhema they use in contact lenses. So it's important to realize that you can take something that could be cytotoxic and you can make it much less cytotoxic. So what's an important step in maintaining pulpal vitality that is often overlooked by the clinician um, and maybe by the manufacturer for that point? What's a common misconception about maintaining pulpal vitality that you can see? Well, one very important thing is how studies are done. Now, that's for the manufacturers and something that they have a misconception on. Because to maintain pulp vitality, you have to control the bacteria. You have to have a great seal. No matter what article you read from any great in pulp vitality, any author that you would ever could refer to, 
you have to have a great seal. You got to keep the micro leakage down. So you have to have good mechanical properties because if bacteria get in, they tend to kill the pulp, as you know, as an endodontist. So that's why we have these studies going back like to 2002, a great study by Hafetz and Kotz that showed that, hey, bonding agents were perfectly fine as, as pulp capping materials, but they were mechanical exposures done under sterile environment and with complete hemostasis. And that's not what happens in real life. In real life, if you're in the pulp, it's because of bacteria. So that's when we started to do studies on pulpal vitality, looking at the effect of bacteria. As you well know, that's essential. And we published our animal studies. And in those, the pulps were contaminated for 30 minutes with all these endodontic abscess organisms. So we have a true representation of what you would see in real life. So in real life, you need to have something that is alkaline. You need to have something that is kind. And to encourage dentin bridge formation, you need to have the calcium release. So you have, on one side, you have the unrealistic animal studies that have been done, totally unrealistic, with the wrong species often, for instance, using baboons, we do not respond the same. Great research on that. Do not respond the same as humans. And so when we did our animal research, we did the Cebus apella primates, which do respond the same as humans, or pigs. Actually, we share 90% of the DNA with pigs, of our DNA. And the Scruffus domestica uh, Yorkshire pig is a perfect example. That's why you use porcine heart valves, that's why you use pig skin, that's why you use pig cornea when you have to do transplantation. So again, be very, very cautious and critical of what you read and what the claims are. There's some great reviews out there that actually have looked at all these pulp casting lining materials, pulp capping or lining materials, and have shown that a number of them don't have much effect. Very interesting. Yeah, when I went to endo school, we there was a classification, a diagnostic classification called irreversible pulpitis. Pulpitis is inflammation of the pulp. Now, irreversible was a diagnostic uh, terminology that we used where we felt that at that point, it passed the tipping point, and at that point, you needed to have endodontic treatment. Now, that concept is no longer the prevailing concept anymore among the top researchers and endodontists. We're, we're believing now that inflammation just by the definition of inflammation, is reversible. So mm -hmm. if you have pulpitis, that means your pulp is vital. Otherwise, it would be a necrotic pulp. And therefore, right. it should be reversible. So how do these materials affect the reversibility of the inflammation of the pulp for, so that it can heal? Well, one thing is to what caused the inflammation was actually the bacterial invasion. So if you get a good seal, you have to get a good seal, make an alkaline environment, which tremendously inhibits the growth of all the pathogens, right? They need to have an acidic environment and provide the pulp with the calcium to put down a, a, a dentin bridge. And that's one of the things that we found was essential. You want to get that good dentin bridge, give the pulp the calcium it needs. And you actually stimulate the dentin bridge formation too by giving the calcium, making the alkaline environment. So when you say what 
what you do to maintain pulpal vitality? Well, you know, this is the old teacher in me saying, put your darn rubber dam on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Make absolutely. sure you keep it clean. Yeah, use a rubber dam. Don't hesitate to use a little sodium hypochlorite to clean because sodium hypochlorite, you know, for 15 to 30 seconds will clean out your preparation. Uh, there's actually some cavity cleansers out there, too, to help remove the bacteria. Make sure if you do have a small pulp exposure that you do get hemostasis. Hemostasis is vital for a direct pulp cap. And make sure you have something in there that will prevent bacterial growth. So you'll have to have that alkaline calcium-releasing material. And make sure they are mechanically strong and that they're biocompatible together. Because, um, as you know, if you go back to history of things like DICAL and and the glass ionomers on top, that all transpired in the 90s because we had about 40% of the schools using 40% plus DICAL, and then about 30% plus were using glass ionomer. No one could agree, so they combined the technique. They decided huh. to put DICAL and then glass ionomer on top right. so that everyone would be right. It was a political move. Uh, the glass ionomer is great for releasing fluoride, but you're not missing fluoride. That's the irony because you're actually in, in the dentin, so you're not forming tons of fluorapatite, so you're really not missing fluoride. And it only works if it's exposed, like if you have an interproximal lesion, you have a box with glass anomer so, the, so it can get out at that margin. And uh, it was just to protect the dical from being the disappearing dical. Very, very uh, interesting. And, yeah, I did not know that. The two sides of the aisle on the... Uh, Diacal yeah. and the, and yeah. The yeah, it was. It's it's like let's let's get together on this somehow. Let's <laughs> come to a conclusion. Oh, we'll put the diacal and put and uh, you know Costa and Hebling were involved with it because they said you got to protect the diacal. Just put the vitrobon on top. And he, as you well know from the research, they inhibit each other. Right. Because the diacal sets by acid-base reaction with the salicylic acid in one part of the paste with the calcium hydroxide in the other part of the paste. And when you put like the vitrobon on top, that inhibits the set of the diacals. So you get a zero bond strength between the two, and you always get gap formation. There's probably been a dozen articles written on this, how, how bad of a combination it is. So that's why it was imperative to come up with something better. Uh, a really good article on that was written in 2011 by uh, Josette Camilleri and published in the journal Dental Materials where she looked at the incompatibility of materials used by the average dentist. It's almost hysterical how many times we put something on top of something else and they actually inhibit each other. With your experience, how many dentists do you think are actually using diacal with glass onomer on top at this point in 2000? Well, right now nobody's working, but when we all get back to work. I think probably about 30 to 40 percent probably still are. Um, now, we had a paper we came out with that showed uh, two years ago uh, that I presented at the AADR meeting that when you put glass ionomer on top of a calcium-releasing product, it forms calcium fluoride, which is insoluble and non-bioactive. So when you put glass ionomer on top of a calcium-releasing product, neither one works as well. Seriously, neither mm -hmm. one works as well. And that's why you can't put active calcium in with active fluoride in a toothpaste. The FDA has always said you can't do that. It makes calcium fluoride, which is insoluble. And so uh, we're, 
it's almost really kind of hysterical. Uh, and yet we've had all this great research with MTA, uh, mineral trioxide aggregate that goes back to the, you know, 1993, 1995, as you know, published in Journal of Endodontics, Corbenjad, mm -hmm. the Loma Linda patent. Mm -hmm. And all it was was Colton Facet uh, Portland Cement Type right. 1 right. from right. the California Portland Cement Company. But the main ingredients in that were tricalcium, dicalcium silicate, and some calcium sulfate. And uh, unfortunately, there was also uh, this... Uh, tetracalcium aluminum ferrite, which is what caused discoloration and aluminum release, and a calcium aluminate too, which was not a good product to have in there, unfortunately. But what you have now is you have all these nice MTA-like products that are purely synthesized, and within, like Theracal LC, you have over 70% of it, according to Carolyn Primus, who's done reverse engineering of it, she claims it's 78% tricalcium, dicalcium, silicate. I will neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> A little humor there. But uh, that tricalcium, dicalcium, silicate is uh, strong calcium release, and Gandolfi and Prati and many other independent researchers have shown that it is as alkaline and as much calcium release as MTA, yet physically much stronger. We're getting close to the end of this podcast. What type of materials do you prefer to use on or near the pulp? And, you know, like we're talking about MTA, resin-modified glass onomers, Theracal uh, LC, which is the uh, Bisco product. Something that you would recommend to our young dentists or dentists that are looking to change products, which one do you prefer? We go back to the research on this. If you have a glass onomer, you got to leave at least half a millimeter or preferably a one millimeter of dentin to protect the pulp because glass ionomers are quite cytotoxic to the pulp if they're in direct contact. You never pulp cap with a glass ionomer. So I tell people I, I don't use glass ionomers anymore because of that. I want to stay away from that issue. Um, so I really cut back on glass ionomers underneath composites. That's just what I'm doing now. If you put MTA in or a pure calcium hydroxide, it's always going to be the weak part of your restoration. So, yeah, I use a lot of Theracal LC in my practice. I use it to protect the pulp and to give me a final restoration that's strong. My last question on this podcast is what's your recommended approach to maintain pulp vitality when you have a pulp exposure? Well, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but main thing is keeping the bacteria at bay. So I do my restorative with rubber dam. I will, if I have a pulp exposure, I will treat it with sodium hypochlorite for a few seconds, 15 to 30 seconds to make sure. Or if I'm really, really close to the pulp, I'll do a little sodium hypochlorite. I want to make sure always if there is any bleeding, there's hemostasis. And again, using something that's strong, that has a calcium release, that is alkaline, like Theracal LC, that will help also be a good thermal insulator for it. And then make sure that my restoration is durable and strong enough that it will not leak because you cannot let uh, the bacteria get back in. And if you do ever have a problem three or four years down the road, it's because your restoration leaked. When you put Theracal LC on, on a very tiny pulp exposure, you've got hemostasis. Do you go straight to the final restoration or do you put something in as an interim restoration and evaluate the symptoms? Well, I actually go to the final restoration because that's going to be more durable. 
And if it needs endodontic procedures, and don't forget, you'll have some that will. There's no doubt about it. You can't claim anything otherwise. That would be very untrue. Uh, at least you have a good seal there for the endodontist so when they're treating it, they don't have to worry about any contamination either. You've got to make sure you have that tooth restored. Excellent insight again, as usual, Dr. Cannon. We're so happy to have you as part of this program, and uh, we look forward to our next podcast. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. Great to be on again.